sitting there in my chair. I was like, I got everything to say. Coming up here, I don't have nothing to say. There's nothing that you can do to improve the presence of God. Nothing you can do. He's here. He's here. Amen? Is my mic on? He's here. There we go. There we go. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. The God of miracles. This morning, when I was getting ready to come to church, Lynette and I usually turn on the TV and and put it on TBN. You know, good Christians watch TBN. And uh, I heard a man named Jensen Franklin preaching this morning on how worship prepares the air for miracles. And I believe we're sitting in that right now. We're sitting in that place of miracles. So many miracles are about restoration. And I was thinking this morning about a scripture, and I I couldn't find it. But I know it's there, so read the Bible. You'll find it one day. For all you overachievers that do the Bible in one year, every year, read it. Tell me when you see it. Um, But the scripture says that we are walking around on this earth. This is my version of it. We're walking around on this earth, and who are we going to find to restore? That God is the restorer, and we need to be the people who shout restore. In other words, we need to be in favor of restoration. Amen? So, you know, with all the headlines this last week, you know, not only wars and rumors of wars is what Revelation says. Um, you know, we're, we're coming into that place. We're one day closer to Jesus coming back than we were yesterday, right? <clears throat> but the one thing that they've quit talking about is COVID so much. All of a sudden, we're coming back into the normal again. But I don't think that that's normal again. Because we need restoration. It's time for restoration. So if you're in this place or you're watching by Facebook Live or you're uh, listening to a podcast later on this week or what, however you're doing that, if two years down the line you find us on this podcast, that um, you can receive that time. There is no time in eternity. There is no time in heaven. So when we bring heaven to earth, as God has petitioned us to do, when we bring heaven to earth, we're bringing in no time, but we're bringing in perfection, his perfection. Are you all awake? So here's what is on my heart this morning, is that if you are being affected, or you still have the effects of what COVID brought in, that being no taste, no smell, and you're still reeling from that, is there anybody like that in this room? Still feeling those effects of COVID? It hadn't stopped. All right. So here's the deal. All you people who have been restored, find somebody who raised their hand. I'm going to make you raise your hand again. Find somebody that raised your hand, that that raised their hand, and I want you as a carrier of restoration to just gather around, put your hand on them, and I want to pray. 
And when I pray, you're going to start receiving. Amen? So if you had effects of COVID or you have effects of COVID still, raise your hand. All right. Somebody look around. Now somebody ain't raising their hand because they're afraid somebody's going to come over to them. If you have it, raise your hand and let people gather around you. Amen? The Bible says that uh, if we're sick, if, if, if there's any sick among us, let us call for the elders of the church to lay hands on them. And so many times people think, well, he's the pastor, so he's got to lay hands on me. No, you are elders in the church. You are. I've got a rousing amen. <laughs> so you got your hands on somebody or you're pushing your hands towards somebody? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you are the repairer of the breach. You are the one that puts the planks back in the bridge that crosses over into your heaven, into your place. Father, that we put the planks back in the bridge where the enemies tried to steal them. And Father, as you move, as your spirit moves into the lives of these people who are praying for people that need restoration, I pray that there is a great exchange that happens from healing to healing in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you for the restoration of taste, smell, um, lungs, breathing. Father, I pray that all of that would be restored. Let us shout, restore, restore, restore in Jesus' name. Amen. Now get ready. As one of my favorite preachers preaches, he says, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready. T.D. Jakes. Get ready. Restoration. I believe before you put your head on your pillow tonight, you're going to realize I got everything back. They, they want to bring a new normal. I say let's bring a restoration of who God created you to be. Amen? Amen. Well, look at your neighbor and say restore. Restore. Tell them you're walking with them in restoration. And give them a high five or a fist bump. Amen? And then you can have a seat once you're done. Hey, would y'all give our worship team a hand clap? Man, what a what a great set of music today. I love that. I mean, it could be because I just came off of that preaching before I got to church this morning. Uh, if y'all know who Jensen Franklin is, um, his broadcast this week talking about preparing the air uh, for miracles to happen, it is good. So go look up Jensen Franklin and, and watch that podcast or, or that, uh, that uh, video today. Amen? Amen? Amen. Now, you guys are quiet. Let's don't be quiet today. Um, I know it snowed, and usually, you know, pastor goes out and checks the roads at 5 o'clock in the morning and tells you whether you can get to church or not or whether I care about you getting to church. And this morning, I got up to let the cat out at 6 this morning. He's meowing in my face. And, and so I let him out, and it, there was nothing falling. So I went back to bed. I said, there's no use in checking the roads. You know, they didn't, uh, these weather dudes, 
usually get it wrong anyhow, so I, I went back to sleep, and when my alarm went off, I got up, opened the, the door up, and there's snow on the ground. And I got a little squirrely coming to church this morning. It was fun. I was going to cut a donut out in the parking lot, but I figured if somebody saw my donut tracks, y'all would be doing donuts in the parking lot. So, and I don't, I trust me, I don't trust y'all. Anyways, I want to welcome you guys to Northern Colorado Cowboy Church. My name is Darren Gleghorn. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, founding, I, I like being a founding pastor than a lead pastor, but um, Lynette and I uh, was called to start this church in May of 2000, so we're coming up on our 22nd year. And, um, you know, I'm still finding things out about church that I didn't know. Go figure. 22 years, and I ain't got it all together. So y'all ain't got it together either. And so let's just be people that don't have it together, come together and celebrate God, right? Amen. Amen. So I want to welcome all of our Facebook Live. I, I stand here with Nick to say, you know, uh, we appreciate you joining us online. And thank God for technology. Thank God for technology. I heard a commercial again this morning on TBN, and it was, um, it was um, Billy Graham talking speaking back when he was young. And he said, we have just stepped into the greatest place that we could ever step is that we can preach the gospel around the world and you don't have to leave where you're at. And so it's so cool to have uh, technology and, and stuff. I know it's a burden sometimes, but when it comes to things like this, it is good. It's a good thing. And so with that, uh, we appreciate you so much. And in order to have the technology here in-house to be able to pipe this thing out to uh, people around the world, you know, wherever somebody wants to join us, uh, in order to have that, um, somebody has to pay for that. And I appreciate people who give to this ministry. I, I appreciate you because it gives us the ability to not just have, you know, nice houses and nice cars and, and you know, all this stuff uh, that, that we think we have, but we have the ability, because of your giving, because of your generosity, we have the, the, the ability to buy cameras and to set up all this sound stuff so that people can be changed in life. Amen? And so with that, um, I, I wanted to pray over your finances. We do that every first weekend of the month because here at Cowboy Church, we don't pass a hat or a plate and try to coerce you to give or anything like that. We simply say you have the opportunity to give here. There's a box back here by this door that you can drop your offering in, uh, or you can give online at n3c.tv, and there should be a give tab there, and you can give online. And so we appreciate you. Um, it was so cool that during COVID, we were able to pay the church off. We're debt-free at this church, and we did that. We, we did that before we even came back and, and was able to open our doors. And so God, God is good, and you guys are good to us because you, your heart of generosity. In that, I um, found this scripture, and you probably heard it before whenever somebody gives an offering message or whatever, another church. We don't give offering messages here, but um, we trust you to hear from God on your finances. But here in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, it says, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. 
Oh, man, this ain't even part of my message, but I remember I was at a, a minister's conference. We were a bunch of ministers sitting there, and they took up an offering. That was cool, you know. But this guy that was doing the offering message come come up, and, I mean, he says, well, you God has told you what to give, and he's looking at all the congregation. He says, God has told you how much to give. Now give, but I want you to double it. I was like, you know what? I heard from God before I got here. And he told me how much to give. And even though he's telling me to give more, even when somebody's telling you to give more, it's not always of God. Because I hear from God on what to give. And he comes down the aisle, or down, you know, down the aisle, looks down my row, looks at me and says, get off your pockets and give. I said, Whoa. Uh-uh, don't you, he's a big old boy too. And I said, I'll whoop you. I didn't say it to his face, but I was thinking. But trust me, I didn't get off my pockets. The whole rebellion thing kicked in. So I don't know what God says about a rebellious giver. But, but he, he says here, don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. So. He said, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. That word cheerfully means hilariously. So you can laugh all the way to the bank when you give to God. And and so anyways, I'm not telling you to give. I'm just saying if you give here, we thank you. We praise God for you. And I want to pray over your finances if you have given or if God is speaking to you to, to give, either to this ministry or some other ministry. Once you listen to Jensen Franklin's message this week, you'll probably give to him. This is good. I may even give to him. So with that, I want to pray over your finances and, um, and and we'll get started today, okay? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you, God, for uh, giving us the ability to have jobs, to have income, to have things coming into, you know, monetarily coming into our presence. And so, Father, we give back to you. We take care of our ministers. We take care of those who um, who minister to our hearts and give us spiritual food to eat. So, Father God, I thank you for the giving of this congregation. I thank you that wherever they give, that, God, you see their generosity and you give back even more as they are good stewards of your finances. So, Father, we thank you. We praise you for increase even more in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. Good stuff? All right. Well, if I hear people laughing, I know they're giving. <laughs> Amen. All right. Are you all ready this morning? Um, if you would, go in your Bibles over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And as you're going over there, we started last week a brand new series called Death, Dying, and Deviled Eggs. You know, and, and, and we heard that, or I heard that, uh, I saw that, experienced that growing up that whenever somebody would die, we would go to the visitation, we'd go to the funeral, we'd go to the graveside, and then we'd all go back to the church or the house or wherever we were gathering to tell stories and have a little potluck. I don't like potlucks, but hey, some people do. Um, But the fact of the matter is, is that every funeral reception that I went to when I was a kid, every time on that table were casseroles, Tea, pie, and deviled eggs. And so a lot of times I look at death and dying 
is that deviled eggs is going to come into play at some point. And so I don't like them, so don't make me none. I like the more of the pie thing, okay, at the table. I, that's one thing that I would eat. I wouldn't eat casseroles, and I wouldn't eat deviled eggs. I'd eat pie. Amen. Amen. I like a good banana pudding, too. That's pretty good. So we started this series last week, Death, Dying, and Deviled Eggs. I'm not going to preach about deviled eggs because I just want you to remember the sermon. And that's why I put it in there. So in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57 is where I want you to go. And can you put it up on the screen? Because I forgot to write it down. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. The Apostle Paul wrote this scripture, thanks be to God, as he was talking about death and the victory of, uh, that Jesus gave us over death. When Jesus died, the Bible says that he took the keys of the kingdom, which is in our, uh, the keys of death, and he took them away from the devil. And so he took that power of death. Amen? Even though the, at this point we still die uh, physically, we have the opportunity to, to never die. Jesus said, uh, you'll never die if you believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of him. And so uh, he, he's got victory. He's the one that brought victory over the grave. So that's what we're talking about, having victory over death. Amen? Amen. If you're a Christian, you have victory over death. Now, I gave you a few statistics last week, and I just wanted to remind you that there are almost 8 billion people on the planet today. You are one of 8 billion. Somebody may have told you you're one in a million, but I'm telling you, you're one in a billion. Amen. Three people received that today, but I'm telling you, you're one in a billion. Out of that almost 8 8 billion people on the planet, people are dying. People are... Two people every second. Uh, we're really 1.8, but I don't know who that 0.8 is. Um, I mean, I'm 0.2 living. Is that, <laughs> you know what I mean? That second, two died. Every, two people every second die. Two more. Two more. Two more. And pretty soon, me and you. All right? So death is inevitable. One out of every one person is going to die unless Jesus comes back to get you before you do, which I'm hoping, right? Amen. And so when, by the time we dismiss church today, there'll be 6,400 people that died. By the uh, end of the day, there's going to be about 153,000 that have died today. By the end of the year, there's going to be 56 million people that have passed away, died. And, and so, you know, death a lot of times is a touchy subject because we don't like to talk about it because it's mysterious, because it's scary. We don't know, you know, we sometimes, most of us fear the things that we don't know anything about. And so um, that's, that's what is um, the mystery of death and the scariness of death. Amen. So, you know, death is difficult to understand. And so when we don't have an understanding of what it's like, a lot of times we shift over into this place called fear. And God don't want us to be fearful, right? So uh, we read last week, Hebrews chapter 2, that it said 
Jesus did what he had to do by dying, by his death, burial, and resurrection in order for us to break free from the power of the devil when it comes to the power of death. He sets us free. Jesus has set us free from the power of death and, and caused us not to be slaves to the fear of dying. We're not really free. We are not really free until we come to the place where we're no longer afraid to die. That's when you can live. That, you know, we don't defy death uh, by doing stupid things, like jumping out of an airplane. Yeah, you just don't want to go defy death unless you've got Jesus in your life. You're not truly free to live until you're not afraid to die. I, I didn't like, I didn't, I didn't want to jump out of a plane. Who would jump out of a perfectly good plane, you know? But I did because I, I had to overcome the fear of death. I, I don't have a phobia or a fear of heights anymore. You know what a fear of heights is, don't you? That's where you fear being up there. You're, you're not really fearing heights as much as you're fearing what happens if you lose the heights. People get in fear because you're afraid to die doing things like that. So, you know, what we need to understand is that life is short and we need to be aware to value the importance that every day holds for us. That's why in Psalm 90 it said that we have to learn how to count our days. We have to learn how to count our days. And, and so um, as, we, as we move into this kind of little review from last week, uh, I gave you the scripture in Psalm 90, verse 4, that says, For a thousand years in your sight, talking to God, are like yesterday when it is past. Second Peter chapter 3 says that um, a day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a, day, and a thousand years is as a day. So what does all that mean? Last week I gave you the little meaning of that. If we were to live a hundred years and God's day, the way that he sees the perspective of a day, he sees a thousand years, right? If we were to live to be a hundred years old, a hundred years old or a hundred years is only a tenth of what God's day is. So in perspective of our 24-hour day, if we were to live one-tenth of our 24-hour day, it would be 2.4 hours. That would be the length of our life from birth to death if we were to live to 100. 2.4 hours. That's a short life. I mean, I think a fly even lives longer than that. But the, the fact of the matter is, when you put that in perspective, you ain't got much time left. Some of y'all got about an hour. Some of y'all got about... 30 minutes. Some of y'all got about 10 minutes. Uplifting message, isn't it? The fact of the matter is we're all going to die. And life is short. And we need to know how to count our days and number our days so that we value what God put us on this planet for. At 53 years old, I've lived more days. I've, I've, I've lived more days than what I've got left. And so in that... I have more to live for today than when I was 23. Because God has called me in this short time to equip the body with his word. And so that's why we're talking about death. 
That's why we're, we don't understand death a lot of times. It's mysterious. And so in that, um, I've got more to live for today by giving you the Word of God so that you can be prepared to live. Amen? The reason that we push back against death as as human beings, we push back against death. The reason we do that is because we were created to be eternal beings. We weren't created to die. But sin and death entering into this world when Adam and Eve um, did what they weren't supposed to do has um, brought us into a place where we do have to experience death. Adam was the first born-again man, but he was born again from life to death. Now we need to be born again from death to life. And Jesus is a life-giving spirit. Amen? So we push back at the, uh, at the thought of death. We, we all push back at that. We don't want to die because we were never meant to die. At the core of who we are, we're eternal and we should be living life. And so uh, with that, I just, uh, that's just runs through my mind is that, that we are eternal beings and we were never meant to die. That's why we push back against death. Each one of us is going to experience death should the Lord delay his coming. But each one has to put death in his position. That's what we're going to be talking about today is putting death in its position. So here in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22, I'm going to read this from the New Living Translation. It says, Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. The Bible tells us there is a trumpet that is going to sound. And when that trumpet sounds, it's going to blow your grandma out of the grave. It's going to call those people who were buried at sea out of the sea. It's going to cause the urn lids to pop off and meet Jesus in the air. All right, y'all's not too excited about that, are you? That trumpet sound is going to be so loud that it's going to call everything back in that, that the, the people back in that have been affected by death. And then we'll be caught up in the air. If we're still here, we'll be caught up in the air to meet him. So that's what, but, but everyone dies because we all belong to Adam. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 24, it goes on. It says, after that, the end will come. And when he, uh, when, when he, Jesus, will turn the kingdom over to God the Father, having destroyed every ruler and authority and power. He says there, the end will come. The end will come. What is the end? The end of what? It's the end of time as we know it. There are two words for time. And last year, we really hit on this a lot, especially Pastor Lynette hit on it a lot, a lot when she preached. But the word for time in the Greek, there's two words. One is called chronos, which is the time that we live in here on this earth. It's why your watch is called a uh, chronometer. I think that's the way you say it, chronometer. I say it like a good okie, chronometer. 
it measures the time that we have on earth. But there's another Greek word called kairos, which means the, the time measurement in heaven. It's eternity. It's the eternal time clock. So when he says the end comes, the end of chronos time on this earth. When Jesus comes back, it's the end of chronos time, and we enter into true eternal time. Amen? He says the end will come. And he says he's going to, um, he's going to turn the kingdom over to God the Father. That word kingdom there is um, basically, you know, when, you, when you're reading, the, especially the Gospels, it talks about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. You know that? kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven, uh, he's, he's talking about that, is that he's going to turn that over. He's going to turn that to God and say, all right, now Kronos is gone. Now Kairos, the eternal, is a part of who we are. It's not just when we all die that this happens. You and I have been commissioned by the Lord's prayer that what is done on earth or what is done in heaven needs to be transitioned to earth. And we are the receptacles of bringing that transition of heaven into the earth. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know that? That's you and I. You and I are the ones that that do that. But when Jesus comes back, all that's going to shift because now heaven comes in, eternity comes in, for good, forever. Amen? Look at verse 25. He says, For Christ must reign until he humbles all of his enemies beneath his feet, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. The last enemy. What is the position of death in our life? It's the enemy it's okay to push back against death. It's okay to push back against death because death is the enemy. There is nothing good in death. Death is the enemy. That's the position of death. Jesus has overcome him. Jesus has overcome death and has given us, Jesus has given us his spirit. So when we are Christians, we're believers, then we have the right and the authority to say no to death. Even though we're all going to die physically, we're not going to die eternally. So I was asking this question. I asked Google this question. You ever ask Google a question? I have. I asked this question. I said, you know, what, what happens when you die? You see what it said? It sent me to a website called Quora, Q-U-O-R-A, I believe, dot com. And, and so I, that question was in there. So I, I looked it up, and this is what it says. What happens when you die? This person wrote on there, death is always sweet because it is the end of everything. When we say everything, it includes pain, sorrow, hate, and mainly regret. I would agree with that a little bit. But the journey of death is always painful. If you die with no pain... You are a lucky one. That's just idiot gone to seed right there. That's, that's idiot that raises other idiots. Having that way of thinking. I mean, it, it goes against itself, you know. Death is sweet because it's the end of everything. But it's painful. 
But if it's not painful, you're lucky. (laughs) Dumber than a box of rocks. That's not true. That's not true, especially for a Christian. Especially for a Christian. Because number one, in what this guy said, death is not sweet. Death is the enemy. Death is not sweet. Death is a bully. Death is an intimidator. Death is a terrorist to humanity. Death is a thief. Death should appall us, not scare us. It should appall us. It should, you know, it should disgust us. It should make us angry. Death should make us angry. But the confusing thing is, is sometimes we get mad at God for death. It's not about being mad at God because God is not the enemy. God is not killing people. Death is killing people. And death has a power when we give death that power. But in John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said that the thief, the enemy, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I came to give life and life abundantly. Amen? Amen. So get angry with death or get angry when death happens, but don't get angry at God. Get angry at death. All right. So death is not sweet. The second thing the guy says, uh, death is not the end of everything. It's not the end. Death is not the end. It's just the transition for us to move from this place into another place. To move from, from this earth into a place of heaven. It's, it's, it's a transition. It's not the end. That's why people sometimes get scary, uh, get scared, get fearful, because it's, uh, they think it's the end. It's not the end. It's not the end. Y'all are awful quiet. <laughs> the third thing the guy says is he says death uh, death is painful. Death is not painful for a, for a believer. Death is not painful. Uh, in First Corinthians fifteen fifty five it says, and we said this last week, death. Where is your victory? And death. Where is your your sting? Where's your bite? Where's the venom of death? When you're a believer, there is no venom of death. There is no. There, there is no pain to die if you're a believer. Amen? So death's position is that it is the enemy. It is a standoff that we have. By having the Spirit of God on the inside of us, it, it's a standoff looking across at death and saying, you are finished. It is curtains for you. Death, your death. Amen. Death is the enemy. Death is the enemy. If you would go over to First um, Thessalonians chapter four. First Thessalonians chapter four. First Thessalonians, like I said last week, is is right before Second Thessalonians. <laughs> yeah. While you're going over there. Um, in, in my life, there have been three men that have impacted my life 
the most. Three men. One of them is my physical father, Jim Gleghorn, who passed, uh, went, went to heaven, transitioned to heaven, August of, of 20. Um, my, my dad is, is very influential in my life. My spiritual father, Glenn Smith, passed into eternity in 2010. And then um, my uh, pastoral mentor, Ronnie Trice, passed away a few years ago. And these are the men that have had the most impact on my life. And the thing about it is, is even though they've had impact on my life, they died. They died. They, they all lived a, a full life into their 70s and, and 80s. And, and last week I had mentioned that when my dad passed away, uh, that it didn't, it didn't break me when he passed away. I wasn't glad. I wasn't happy. But the fact of the matter is, is when, because it didn't, um, it didn't break me because I knew where he was going. I knew where he was going. It's just like when, you know, I mentioned this last week, but it's just like when my son graduated high school and he did an internship in Texas with another church down there, he moved to Texas. He just transitioned. He moved to another state. When people die here on this earth, they just transition into a new place, a new home, another state. It's hard for us to understand all that and, and say that, well, you, you didn't, you know, your son moving away, you all have cell phones. So, even though my dad and my spiritual father and my mentor has gone on, um, they don't have cell phones now. Right, but the but the fact of the matter is, it's still parallel that they move to heaven. I can still talk to him if I want to. My son moved to Texas. I can still talk to him, and I was just anticipating the months that it would that he would be back home. There's a, there's a time that I got to be with him. And, and people who go to heaven is the same way. Don't worry about it. Here in about an hour, <laughs> you're going to be with them. You're just going to step right into that place. And, and the cool thing about it is, is they'll be in their prime. You know, I, I didn't know my dad when he was 18, 19, 20 years old. But that's the way he's going to be in heaven. And, and I'm just going to step in there. And when I step in there, he says, hey, I was looking forward to you getting here. Amen. I, but, the fact, but the fact of the matter is, is from these men, I do. I miss the conversations. I miss the knowledge that is that is passed to me. I, I, I miss the humor. Oh my gosh, my dad was funny. My spiritual father was funny. The one thing that my spiritual father would say to people when, like, if we went to breakfast, we'd sit down and. And the waitress come over and he says, I want some scrambled eggs and, and this and that. He talks about the eggs. He says, now I want real eggs. I don't want that carton egg. I want real eggs scrambled. And then you look at the waitress and go, what was the conversation like whenever um, humanity was standing there looking at a chicken and going, the next thing that comes out of his butt, I'm going to eat.
that's funny. You know, who discovered that? You know, it's... anyways, um, the humor, but I especially miss their physical love. You know, laying hands on me and praying for me and, and loving on me. Man, I, I miss that. I miss that. And you do too. You, you miss the people who impacted your life that's gone on to heaven. Amen? But that's what helps me keep from falling apart. And, and what helps me keep from falling apart is the Word of God. The Word of God has given me peace about those people who die and given me peace about my own death. Because I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die someday. Two more. Me and you. But the Word of God gives me the confidence in that it's my shield. The Word of God is my shield, my comforter, my peace, my refuge, and my rear guard. The Word of God is all around me so that I can walk this life out and not be afraid of death, not be afraid of the, the effects of death. Have you found First Thessalonians yet? I guess I did too. First Thessalonians, I'm going to read this from the New Living Translation. And uh, ver- uh, chapter 4 is where we're going to go. In verse 13, it says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died, so that you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when uh, believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. If you are alive on this planet, whenever Jesus comes back, he's not coming back on his white horse all by himself. He's coming back with all the believers who have died, and then you get to meet up with them in heaven or in the skies. Amen. He says, in the meantime, in the meantime, don't grieve for people who have died like those who have no hope. Hope. Just a few weeks ago, we talked about hope. <clears throat> the, the thing about this scripture is, is that the, the Apostle Paul is writing here, and he's not saying don't grieve for the dead. Don't grieve when somebody dies. It's not what he's saying. He's simply saying, don't be hopeless in the process when somebody dies. Don't be hopeless. Don't grieve like people who have no hope. Um, Don't view death as the end. Don't lose your mind. I I went to the funeral of one of my uncles, and um, he had three grandchildren that were girls, and they'd grown up. They were women by this time. They were, you know, probably in their uh, late teens, early 20s. And um, at the funeral, these girls lost their cotton-picking mind, screaming and wailing in the funeral, just squealing like, golly, like a mashed cat, you know? (laughs) Went out to the to the grave graveside and wailing and screaming and crying and snotting and oh, it was 
terrible. I said, I'm looking at him like, you, you lost your cotton-picking mind. Dude, you, you got to be, you, you got to have a little more hope than that. This is what, what the Apostle Paul is telling us. This is what the Word of God is telling us. Don't lose your mind like people have no hope. If they don't have any hope, if they don't have any hope of seeing him again, if they don't have hope in being with him again, they're going to act like they're nuts. The word hope there is the expectation of good. It is the joyful and and confident expectation. Hope gives us the expectation. You you know, like I said, it's the turtle that's trying to cross the road. He's got his head stretched out and he's going for it. When somebody dies, we've got to have that same hope. Man, I'm just waiting for my turn. Amen. It's a joyful and confident expectation. It's not the end. You will be with them again. In about an hour, you're going to be with them again. Or Jesus is going to bring them to you. One of the two, have some cotton-picking hope. (laughs) Expect good. Amen? So when those men in my life, those influential men in my life, um, when they died, my heart hurt. It's okay to hurt. It's okay for tears to come. I cried. I didn't scream and wail, but I sat there and cried. I still, whenever I hear my dad's voice um, just in my memory bank, my spiritual dad's voice in my, mir- in my, in my memory bank, um, the, the thing about it is, is sometimes when God speaks to me, it's in Glenn's voice. I hear Glenn saying that. He's not God, but he was the voice of God in my life a lot of times. So when God talks to me, sometimes it's Glenn's voice. Um, you know, uh, Ronnie Trice, my spiritual or my uh, pastoral mentor, when he he'd call me out of the blue, he said, "I'm just calling to buddy with you. How you doing? Well, good. Are you playing golf? Good? Nope. <laughs> well, I don't know what to tell you. Just keep playing." And he hang up the phone. Amen. My heart hurt. When Rhett went to Texas, I took, we took him down there and dropped him off and unloaded all my, his stuff, helped him in the house. And the day that I left, I cried, didn't I? I, I mean, Lynette's looking at me like, enjoy this. <laughs> but I cried. I mean, I cried driving out the driveway, looking at me in the rearview mirror. Oh, me my baby boy. I miss him. His sister was going, how long is he staying? <laughs> she was the first one that's glad that you were back, didn't she? Yeah. But he just moved away. I, I was talking to Miss Felicia over here earlier in service, and her husband, Kenneth, um, who used to get up here and do our opening and stuff, he got a job promotion, moved to Missouri, right? He's in Missouri. She's here. Her, you know, the family's here. Kenneth's out there. And, but I I don't see him over here wailing and screaming and crying because he moved to Missouri. That's, it's the same thing when somebody dies and goes to heaven. It's the same thing. They just moved away. You'll see him again. About an hour, you'll see him again. You get anything out of this today? 
if you would go over to uh, Philippians chapter one, Philippians chapter one. <clears throat> you know, um, I hear people um, through through this being a pastor. I've done a lot of funerals, and I hear people struggle uh, with hopelessness in times of death because they put all their maybe they put all their cards into this person's life, you really love them, you really enjoy them, you put a lot of investment into them, they put a lot of investment into you. Uh, so when they do pass, it, it's a little bit of a struggle sometimes. And it's okay to struggle. But I, I hear the struggle. I see the struggle as a pastor because sometimes I know them or I may not know them. And, and um, you know, I, be, I begin to look at death differently over the years. I began to speak about death um, differently over the years because I, I've, I've learned, I've, I've been learning how, what death, it's the enemy. It's not sweet. It's the enemy. And I'm not going to give it any leverage in my life by thinking that's the end. And so I, I hear a lot of that and I've, I began to see this in the word and things like that. And I, and I begin to adjust my thinking and begin to adjust my speaking about death. And I just wanted to show you some things here um, because especially as Christians, um, when we're a Christian that dies, I, I, I love this in Psalm 116. I didn't tell you to go there, but you can write it down. Psalm 116, 15 says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. That word precious means valuable. God holds it value when his saints transition from here to there. I loved it when my son come home. When he come back home from Texas, I, it was precious to have him. I, I count the days differently now that he's, been, that he's left, and I've dealt with it. But when he come back home, it was, it was precious. I loved it. And that's the way God looks at you as a believer. That when you die, it's not over. He thinks it's precious. Not precious like a, oh, isn't he just so precious? <laughs> but precious as this is my heart coming home to me. Amen? It's, you know, tragedy. I hate tragedy. I mean, the COVID thing brought tragedy into our lives, didn't it? When somebody, um, somebody died of COVID, uh, somebody died in an automobile accident, you know, when somebody dies um, of even natural causes sometimes, we can think and we can feel like it's a tragedy in my life. But listen, I'm not being insensitive. I'm not downplaying all that stuff. Um, I'm not trying to be insensitive, so please don't get mad at me. If you do, forgive me or you won't go to heaven. <laughs> so I'm not trying to be insensitive, but tragedy, tragedy does happen in our world, and sometimes tragedy, the way we define that, happens to Christians sometimes. And, and so in that, I'm not minimizing what all of that is, because Romans chapter 12, verse 15 says, mourn with those who mourn and weep with those who weep. We can, we can mourn and weep those people who have gone to heaven. Amen? But we have to maintain hope. We have to maintain hope. 
because we're going to see them shortly. And that's why the living, you, you and I, the living on this planet right now, the living, the, the breathing, the heartbeat in this world, the living need to demonstrate and communicate Jesus to the world. That's why you're here. That's why you gave your life to Jesus. You know, sometimes a, a preacher will stand up and say, well, when you die, do you want to go to heaven or do you want to go to hell? Obviously, you know, knowing what heaven is, I think I want to go to heaven. Well, you got to ask Jesus in your heart, okay? I ask Jesus into my heart. That's not the end of the salvation. The end of the salvation is that we take what God has given us through Jesus called the gospel, and now we're to give that gospel to the rest of the living that are here. Three of you agreed with that. First Timothy 2.4 says that God desires all humanity to be saved. Why? Because precious in his eyes is the death of the saints. He wants, he wants people that you know that you, that you know is not living for Jesus. He wants, to, he wants them. His desire is for them to be with him in eternity. So us as the living have eternity on the inside of us because of Jesus, right? And that's why we're living here. It's, it's everything that we need to do that we need to demonstrate and communicate Jesus to the world. This world has us conditioned that death is the worst thing that could ever happen. Death has been around for 6,000 years, y'all. And it has, uh, it has brought about a mystery that we automatically think death is bad. And, and it makes us talk about death as, as you know, as bad. It makes us speak about death that's things that are not true. Because death is a bully. Death is a terrorist. Death will steal your milk money every day. Your milk money is hope. Death every day will try to steal your hope. Have you found Philippians chapter 1 yet? The, the, the Apostle Paul is writing in Philippians, here in Philippians chapter 1. He's writing from prison in Rome. He was in, he was in prison there. And, and during that time, um, there was a place in Rome called Nero's Circus. Nero's Circus was a big um, arena that Nero, the, the Caesar during that time, would bring Christians in there and kill them persecute them, crucify them. They would get eaten by, by uh, lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. <laughs> they would be set on fire. They would be crucified like Jesus was crucified. I mean, death was all around. And the Apostle Paul is writing, and I think that in that prison, he could hear what was going on in the Colosseum. He could hear what was happening to other Christians. And here he is, a leader of them, probably led many of them to the Lord, hearing death all around him, maybe even seeing death through the crack in the wall. I don't know what, but he, there's death all around him. And this is, this is what he says here in Philippians verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 20. It says, uh, according to my earnest expectation, 
and hope. Um, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He said, whatever comes to me in this Roman prison, whatever, whatever comes to me, whether life or death, it's gonna, my life is going to glorify God. And he says, you know, for, for to me, to live is Christ. To live is Christ. For every one of us who are believers, who have asked Jesus to come into our life, Jesus who? Jesus Christ. Christ is not his last name. It's his position. That word Christ means the anointed one. He, he is anointed by the, with the power of God. So Paul says, for to me to live is Christ. It is for me to live in the power of God to, to preach the gospel. Amen? Amen? But then he looks over and says, but to die is gain. He said, even though I got a job to do here on this earth, if I were to die, it'd be better than living on this earth. Until I die, I'm going to live and preach the gospel. For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. To live is Christ and to die is gain. The word Christ means anointed, that we have the power of Jesus to enjoy real life, and to die is loss. That's not what he said, was it? He said to die is lo-. he said to die is gain, not loss. Because if we think that the end of humanity when they die is it, if we call it the end, if it's the worst thing that could ever happen, then it becomes lost to us personally. I'm so sorry for your loss. not right. Uh, you know, well, um, you know, daddy, daddy went home to be with the Lord. We lost daddy. Daddy's not lost. Daddy knows where he's at. Uh, you know, when Rhett went to Texas, I didn't say, oh man, Rhett's lost in Texas. I knew where he was. He knew where he was. He wasn't lost. There's a lot of jokes I could come up with that, you know. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, he wasn't lost. And your loved one who has gone to heaven is not lost. The Apostle Paul said, For me to die is gain. It's gain. It's more. It's bigger. It's not done. It's just transition into another place. It's not loss. I'm so sorry for your loss. I, I don't say that anymore. I don't say I'm sorry for your loss. I'm praying for your heart because I know your heart hurts. I'm praying for your heart because I know there's tears that, that you feel. I, you know, when Rhett was in Texas, I missed him. It's okay to miss him, but it's not loss. When somebody dies, it is gain. Are you okay? 
listen, I'm not condemning you. That's the way the world has conditioned us about death, that death is lost. Death ain't lost. For a Christian, death is gain. Amen? Amen? Thinking and speaking loss is that we're allowing death to beat us out of our hope. We're allowing death to steal our milk money. We're allowing death to terrorize us. Unless you're going to hell, you're going to see your loved one again. To die is gain. Say that. To die is gain. Death is gain. Amen. To die is gain. See, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the Bible says, Jesus said, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is at hand. As far as your hand can reach out in front of you, that veil that's right there, breaking through that veil, is heaven. Your loved one is just, your loved one that has gone on is just beyond that. You may not be able to see them, but you know where they're at because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Get it? They're just on the other side of the veil. As as a matter of fact, in Hebrews chapter 12, it says that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Hebrews chapter 11 is the hall of fame of faith. It gives you a list of people who walked with God, who had faith, and they passed on. The, the Bible even says there in Hebrews chapter 11 that some of them never saw the promise of God come to pass while they were on earth. But we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Every person who you've experienced go to heaven are setting, this is the way I like to picture this, are setting in an arena watching you in your track and field contest here on the earth, they're watching you and cheering for you. They've got a front row seat into what you're doing. And even though you can't see them, they can see you in your time of faith and you running the race because they're the ones that when they transition to heaven, they pass the baton to you for you to run with what they've given you. It is quiet in here. We carry the baton that's been handed off, handed off to us. Listen to this over and over in uh, John chapter 14. John chapter 14. I got to hurry. My time's running out. John chapter 14, verse 27. Now, uh, Jesus is with his disciples at the Last Supper. He's just hours away from death. And he's been telling them, preparing them, I'm going to die soon. I'm going to die soon. I'm going to die soon. His disciples would tell him. As a matter of fact, Peter got rebuked for Jesus saying, I'm going to die. He says, no, you're not. You're not going to die. Don't say such things. Jesus said, I rebuke you. You're acting like the devil. He said, I have to die. And so he's at the Last Supper. He's telling them that he's got to die. And here in verse 27, Jesus looks at them and he says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. I'm going to die and I'm going to pass this baton of peace 
to you so that you can run. After I'm gone, you can run with the peace that I gave you. The baton of peace. Now it's been given and they have to start running with it. That's what legacy does. That's why legacy is important in our lives. It it makes us responsible for the future and the hope of the next generation coming up. It it thrills my heart to, to get to go to the garage and work on cars with my son because that was what my dad invested into me. We would work on cars, pull transmissions, Take, take apart motors. We, you know, I'm, I'm not real smart at that kind of stuff, but what I do, the knowledge that I do have came from my dad. He handed the baton off to me. And when he died, I get to run with it myself. Now it's time for me to take what my daddy gave me and give it to my son. We pulled his old Ford pickup into the garage one day and tore down the upper end of the motor and put new stuff in there. We put new stuff in there, got it running, all that kind of stuff. Why did we do that? It thrilled me because my dad passed that on to me so that I can pass it on to him. My dad's legacy doesn't die. It should not die with me. It should be given. What my dad taught me is what I'm going to teach my son. Amen? It thrilled my heart. So I don't speak of, of people, especially those that have been in my life and invested in me. I don't, I don't speak to them in, in the past tense. They, they move to heaven, but they still are. They're not a was. Now, what they did when they were here and impacted my life was, but they are not was, they are. They are. The same eternal being that they were on this earth is still the same eternal being that they are in heaven. And they're watching us. They're watching us run in faith. They're watching us run with this legacy that they've given given us. Amen? They've watched that. And they're not a was. When when, um, Kenneth is in Missouri, he still is. He's not was. He still is. And you probably hear phone calls from him and know that he still is. Right? He's a character. But in heaven, they have a front row seat to watch what they've influenced our life with to be an influence with. Jesus went on to say here in verse 28, you have heard me say to you, I am going away and I'm coming back to you. If you loved me, listen to what he says. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I said I'm going to the Father for my Father is greater than I am. I, I hear people say, if I could just have one more day. Man, this is what I'd do if I had one more day with mama, had one more day with daddy, with grandpa, with whoever. If I just had one more day. That, guys, that's a selfish thought. Because Jesus said, if you loved me, you would know that I'm going to the Father and that I'm coming back. I mean, you shouldn't live with regret ever because somebody died. If I could just have one more day, I get it. See, if we love them, 
then we'll rejoice because they're not in pain. Because they're not dealing with the problems that we have here on earth. We don't have, they, they don't have, they're under a different government where they're at. They don't have to deal with this stupid government. <laughs> now, now y'all are awake, aren't you? Yeah. Come on. They don't have to deal with the struggles that we deal with. Man, be glad that they're there. Be glad that they gave something to you to, to carry out so that you can be with them in about an hour, 45 minutes, hour and a half, whatever the case may be. We should be saying, look, guys, you're in heaven. Have fun. Have fun. See you in 45 minutes. Death is a part of life. And Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So I'm going to die. But don't be afraid because you're left behind. I've given you something that you can do. I've given you a message that you can preach. I've given you an influence that you can influence other people. I've given you the inspiration of the word of God. Don't put your focus on me being dead. Put your focus on what the living is so that when you die, there's a legacy that's given to them called the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, death is not the worst thing. Death is not the worst thing. The worst thing is living or dying without Jesus Christ in your life. That's what it comes down to. That's what it comes down to. Have you made Jesus the Lord of your life? If you have, then you can live this life with life eternal. Even though you may die before Jesus comes back, you still are a conduit of heaven on this earth because Jesus died. He is the only one in the whole 6,000 years of this earth. He's the only one that didn't have to die. But he did. So that he could he could pass that legacy on to you, so that you could pass his legacy on to others, especially our families, right? When 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 you ask Jesus into your life, you have a covenant with God. That means an agreement. You've got a contract with God that you're going to heaven. But not only that, you've been given a contract that allows you to influence and to preach the message of Jesus Christ. So if you've never asked Jesus to come into your life, if you're not a Christ follower today, maybe you, somebody drug you here or something like that, or maybe you're watching and you just liked how good looking I was, and, and so you found us on Facebook or whatever, and you're like, well, he's good looking. I'm going to see what he has to say. If you, if you have never asked Jesus to come into your life, Right now is the time to do it. you got to ask Jesus to be a part of your life. He said, would you come? Would you come and follow me? That's all he said. He didn't make you raise a hand, walk an aisle, pray a prayer. He just says, if you're willing to come and follow me, follow me. If you've never followed Jesus before, now is the time to do it. Now is the time. Say yes to him. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for these that have come today and and heard what we had to say. Father, I just thank you so much for heaven. 
I thank you, God, that you've given us the ability that um, we can see death in its proper place. Death is the enemy. Death is the enemy. So, Father, I pray that in order for us to have eternal life, we have to say, Jesus, come into my life. Yes, Jesus, I want to follow you. Thank you, Father, for giving us the ability to step into eternal life and living the born-again life on this earth and being your vessel of hope. I thank you. I praise you, God, for each and every person that has said yes today to Jesus. And God, I thank you for those who have said yes again to Jesus. And I praise you and thank you that death has been defeated. Thanks be to God who have given us life eternally. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Yeah.